Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on Fubar Radio. Hey, we're off, we're off, we are off, we are actually off. Oh my God, we were just saying we might be off soon and then we are off. Oh my God, you couldn't write it. <laughs> oh God. Um, okay, we're off. Nick, your mic is too loud. Well, that, I literally said, just before we started, there's everything all right with my mic. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, where the fan mail's meant to be, if people say him, I wasn't shouting then. I was fucking doing my fucking best. How about now? Is it all right? Is it too loud? Too loud? Apparently. It seems to be all right. This is good. That is, that good. is good, it says. Just, okay, I've just t- turned a knob. All in a day's work. So we're off. We are off. Like like we actually off. Like week old sushi. We're off. <laughs> um here we go. So my name is Nick. This is Nathaniel Metcalf. And Nathaniel no, I'm having a you're having a go at me because I'm too loud, but Nathaniel is fucking around with the lead on his microphone. I am, I keep doing that. It's it's um it's a comfort mechanism. I, feel, I must feel uncomfortable. Stop yeah. fondling with my mic. I won't. It's very yeah. sensitive. I've got a very sensitive mic now. Um, Is that it? I mean, you you cannot be midway through what sounds like a sentence and then take a sip and then just leave it there. It's like it's like a relay runner. Um, uh, uh, this is what the show you've just done that now you're taking a sip now oh left a sentence after you've had a big well, now that water. we've now that we've located the problem it's going to keep popping up i imagine as <laughs> it's as it's want to as it's want to as this it's is want the new to. normal t- it's what it is it's a kind of free form radio this this is the kind of thing no one's ever heard before this is like um christian slater in pump up the volume it's blowing people's minds we don't normally stop in the middle of a sentence and have a sip of coffee. We're like happy, happy Harry Hardon, as he called, from uh, Pump Up the Volume. I've not seen Pump Up the Volume. You've not seen it. Oh, that was that was during a, a spate of uh, Christian Slater movies that uh, I were neither on TV or were aimed at me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I wasn't interested in watching. I think I'd seen Heather's. Yeah, I think of it as one of his like certainly early days Slater movie. It was peak Slater. Peak Slater. It was sort of like he. So he'd done Heather's, and then there was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and obviously, I mean, Star Trek Six. But then he gave like the one-two punch of cuffs, pump up the volume, uh, mobsters. Was in yes. in mobsters, and um, he was like he was like teenage Nicholson, wasn't he? That's, yes, that's exactly. Kind of... That was how he. And actually, when you watch the more like people said that at the time, oh, he's like Nicholson. And then when you watch Heather's now, you watch it and go, oh, he's basically just doing a Jack Nicholson impression. So that's why people have said that. It's obviously just what he's doing. But also, when you actually watch Nicholson. Nicholson doesn't even become Nicholson until sort of like mid to late eighties. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a bit of it in The Shining, and then by the time he gets to Witches of Eastwick, he's just like, "Who gives a fuck? I'll just do, I'll just do it with my eyebrows." But before then, he's kind of 
he's not doing kind of like the things that you think that you so so I think, I think the shining is yeah the the start of it for him and he never really lets it go after that i think that's his whole his whole shtick well people loved him. it people loved it i mean there's little bits of it i found out that he did the last detail he turned down what's he turned down to do the last detail i don't know he turned that down 71, 72. Godfather. He said you should get an Italian American to do this. And he looked at his lines and he looked at his scenes. He didn't have any scenes with Marlon Brando. And he figured, I'll probably get to work with Marlon Brando once. And if it if it's not the Godfather, then um if if I do the Godfather, then I won't actually be in any scenes with him. So you should get someone else for that. And then he did. And he, and he said, and I thought the last detail was uh, just as good. Mm. And he said that he'd not seen anything like the last detail. But, you know, he was kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, The Godfather's a classic, but the last detail is too. So he didn't have any regrets. And he was, and I think he was basically saying that he was really badly miscast. So um, when you see him in, as a young man in films in the 60s, He's got that really old face. So even when he's play, meant to be playing like teenagers or young people, he kind of just looks much older. And it's sort of, he kind of grew into his, his face a bit, didn't he? Uh, yes. And his career. Like all of those uh, Roger Corman movies mm. that he did. And, you know, he was a writer. He started off um, as an, in, an, in the animation department because... I mean, I watched this really... I watched a compilation of Jack Nicholson interviews, basically. And um, he was just, like, saying that he he worked in the animation department. I can't remember which company. I imagine it was Disney, but it may not have been. And he worked in the animation department because he just wanted to be in Hollywood. He wanted to... He was starstruck. And then, this is him in, like, the 80s. It's like, or maybe, like, early 80s, late 70s. And he goes, oh, I was starstruck. I still am. <laughs> oh, that's quite sweet. I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think that when you actually look at the... I've sort of... I love Jack Nicholson. I've always loved Jack Nicholson, but I've sort of under... Um, estimated how good he is as actually just a plain old actor. Mm. And when you watch stuff like The Last Detail where he's acting, he's so good... As just sort of like a guy with not Jack Nicholson doing all the Jack Nicholson stuff, but just as a guy. Yeah. Oh, it's great. And then on top of that, he's Jack Nicholson. So the bits of that come in. Yeah. He's, he's, he's really great. Um, and, uh, and so like I saw, um, what was the Adam Sandler film? Uh, oh, anger management, anger management. So I saw that and that's such a weird film because you think, you know what the film is going in and then they just refuse to make that film. And you just, uh, you go, this film would be much better if you just make the film that we think you're going to make. Adam Sandler uh, gets angry and has to attend anger management classes or or he's mislabeled with anger issues, gets assigned an anger uh, therapist and the anger therapist makes him even more angry. Mm. And it's Jack Nicholson, and he drives him crazy. That's the film, right? And Jack Nicholson is one of those people who play in that part would feel like he's an actor that you know is always, because of his back catalogue, 
is always taking, on the verge of going, blowing up. You're so taking, it has a sense of threat all You're the taking time. all the baggage that Jack Nicholson has with you and you're basically paying for that. But the yeah. film is not that. The film is this really weird, convoluted... It's like they've come up with lots of um, scenarios on how to make anger management. It's like... All right, so we're going to do the buddy system where we buddy up. So you get an angry person and you get an angry person. So he gets buddied up with John Turturro. And John Turturro has a couple of scenes. And you go, well, that's the film, right? He's got anger issues, but not really. And then he gets that partnered up with a guy that's really got anger issues. And then you go, well, no, that doesn't happen in the film. There's two scenes of it, but that's not the film. Okay, so Jack Nicholson is his uh, anger therapist. Uh, and then they're, they're going to drive each other mad. No, that doesn't happen because um, it's sort of they introduce it as an idea, but it doesn't it doesn't really happen that way. Okay, so he does group therapy. It's not one on one therapy, but there's group therapy. Yeah, there's group therapy sessions. So it's all about like the the, the therapy sessions, and then they all go off and they do a what like the dream team. So no, they they don't do that. It's, no, there's like a couple of scenes there because we've got some jokes about it and John McEnroe is going to do a cameo, but it's not really that. So so what is it? Well, it's kind of all of that, but then we've got... Uh, it's like the game as well where it's all, a, it's all a trick and it's just such a mental film when you watch it and you kind of like go, why is this so fucking complicated? There's like four or five... It's like what they did was they went... Right... Um, my name's Adam Sandler, and the, my next project is going to be based around anger management. We've got a title. It's called Anger Management, and we've even got a star. Jack Nicholson says he's interested. Um, so Robert De Niro started doing comedies. So uh, Jack Nicholson is going to take a stab at it, and he's going to see what it's like to make a comedy in the modern age. Great. Yeah. Brilliant. So we've got a star. We've got a title. What are we going to do? And they all sit down him and his writers, and they all sit down and they do like a, like a, what do you call it? A thought shower, is that what you call it? Uh, they all do like a spider diagram of all of the different things that could be, like, oh, well, there's like, um, well, they can have a buddy system where he's got a really angry guy and he goes to group therapy and he's got this crazy therapist played by Jack Nicholson and he upsets a Buddhist monk and uh, he shouts on a plane and everyone thinks that he's angrier than he really is and uh, he's got to win his girlfriend back and, uh, you know, and they, and that was the first day of writing and then they just wrote it. <laughs> and they didn't. They didn't pick. They didn't pick a film. They didn't pick a story. They just make loads of complicated. It's so complicated, and you just. I think like, that's it's interesting. I'm trying to think of other examples, but I think you're right. There are loads of films that, from a poster or a video box or something, you would go, "All oh, right, yeah, I know what that film is," and you go and see it, and it isn't the thing that you just that you've already got the film sort of, and what you really want to do is just watch that film that you've that it's been sold to you as. And yeah, I think it like the poster for it was like exactly. You looked at it and went, "Oh, it's basically analyze this, but with um, Jack Nicholson in it." You yeah. know, it's basically doing that, isn't it? With a different kind of a different setup, but it, but it's basically Adam Sandler and Jack Nicholson's version of analyze this. Adam Sandler, uh, famous for um, losing it on screen, so he, you know, even on something that is kind of. 
like the wedding singer they kind of work mm -hmm. out a way to kind of like go oh it's because of emotional issues and he loses it a couple of times you go that's right and that's what he does that's his famous thing he did it on his albums he did it in his first few films great brilliant we got a comedy actor at the height you know wedding singer and Waterboy came out in the same year yeah, fucking hell, that's incredible. 1998, I think. Um, <clears throat> came out the same year. And so he's got uh, his character. He's got his, his comedy persona is a guy that loses it. And you got Jack Nicholson, same. After The Shining, it's like he's the guy who fucking loses it, but he's a proper actor. And now we're going to team them up, two guys that are famous for losing it, in a film. And it's not, it's, oh, it's not that. So just like, exactly, make the fucking film I've got in my head that you sold me. But again, it's a thing where Jack Nicholson always feels like he's quite precious about the parts he plays. And even like, even something like Batman, which I'm sure he did for the most part because he had, had such a huge payout. But even something like that feels like that's cashing in on his back catalogue and being like, yep, yeah, I'm going to do a full on jack nicholson performance in this it's what everyone wants and he does it but for the most part he's basically retired now and even pre and post fat man he never felt like he was being bought in you know he never felt like he was just doing something just to do it it always felt like it was kind of quite a quality project or there was like or it felt like you know or or he felt like a star in as much as like if he's in it it's a big movie well, he's an actor, and I think that that is something that you forget because he's mm. Jack Nicholson, and it's easy to forget that mm. he's like a he's an actor. So when you go back and you watch his things, and he has sort of like subtle performances, and he's not doing all the big Jack Nicholson stuff, you kind of like go, oh, oh yeah, he does all this stuff as well. And then when you do, I don't think he pushes it as far as he could as the Joker, and I also. Just, I don't think I, I'm, I don't know how much I love Batman. I love Bat. I, I do like Batman Returns, but um, very I much think, so. I, I think Batman them. is flawed. You saw them recently. Yeah, I saw them recently back to back at cinema. Probably, I guess, a little bit before the pandemic. And I watched the first Batman film, and I was a bit like, oh, it really doesn't hold up. And I almost went home in the break between Batman Returns because I was a bit like. I don't know if I fancy doing another two hours of a film I don't really like, but went back for Batman Returns, and Batman Returns is the opposite. It's like brilliant film, still absolutely yeah. brilliant. Yeah, it's. Um, I just I, I think giving Tim Burton free reign on that one really um, really pays off. Gotham looks better, even though it's like a tiny soundstage when you look back at it. Gotham looks better, and uh, Danny DeVito's great, and um you know uh the the what you call it the origin story of catwoman it's brilliant it's all made up hmm. do you know what i mean that's not what the penguin's meant to be like and that's not what catwoman's meant to be like and people are so precious these days but it was like literally tim burton's interpretation of the material and you wouldn't be able to do that now hmm well, even Zack Snyder, Zack Snyder did his like interpretation of the material, and that was like, no, 
you know what I mean? People like half half the people hated it, and half the people loved it so much that you know it became kind of violent. Um, it's also uh, it's a film, isn't it? Which is the thing that people forget now that it is someone who's gone. Can you make a film of Batman where it's almost now? I think the op the object is like, can you make a film that is sort of like the comics, but you can't actually, you know, but everyone has a different idea of what the comics are anyway so you'll never please everyone but we what we want you to do is please everyone that's what we need can you compress 50 years of comic law into a movie um and that's not what diverge I think, at all from that's these. what i think marvel has done incredibly well he it makes you feel like um there was only ever one comic book and that mm. was what you were reading we're, we're, you know, it sort of like almost discounts all of the changes that comics have gone through, all of the different uh, illustrators and writers, and it just makes it all feel mm. like this is what it is, which is sort of like its biggest success and and probably why I, I'm not such a huge fan, because mm. they all feel slightly generic. I think that's right. I think traditionally Marvel, as a comics publisher, have kind of kept a fairly consistent universe whereas yeah. dc have constantly rebooted their universes and had different versions of so it actually in a way what they're doing now or what they were doing i don't have to change your mind by just having everything in its own universe kind of makes more sense for dc stuff it's almost like don't really you don't really have to bother doing a, a coherent universe you might as well just get different people to do different versions of it i mean i appreciate that they do comic books where superman and batman are side by side but i equally am mm. absolutely fine watching a batman film that is in an isolated universe sure yeah it's kind and, of like when you when you look at it it's kind of like what is batman actually thinking you know it's like you're a man and you live in a world where there are aliens why don't you spend why don't you spend your money on uh you know improving improving street safety <laughs> were we talking about this <laughs> you know put some more lights up put some more street lights up <laughs> uh and oh is there like a really fucked up area yeah. pay for some more police crime um, alley where my parents were murdered i'll tell you what put a bit of money in and maybe get a bit of cctv up there get some cctv um, up there do you know what i mean it's just like you're a billionaire you're living in a universe where superman exists <laughs> where wonder woman is a fucking what athenian god and you're a man that does push-ups and you're going yeah i'll join in and everyone's like oh mate this is a bit awkward you do have a lot of money though why don't you put all of that money into kind of like um you know, like a, like a like a scheme where you're te you're, you're teaching criminals new skills so that they can yeah. go into business for themselves. What have you done this week, Bruce? Well, I've basically funded like a taxi service that can make kind of if there's sort of lone women coming back from clubs and basically a free taxi service that I'll pay for and then get home safe. Oh, well done, mate! You've done that's that's like a great idea. You're, no, no problem. I'm rich. It doesn't really. It's fine with me because I don't, I don't even miss the money. I'm a billionaire. You're like a real life superhero, aren't you? Oh, I wouldn't say that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but thanks. You know what I mean? It's like Bruce Wayne. And then it's also kind of like when I was watching one of the things I've noticed about Superman is like, why the fuck is he so muscly? It's like, what is he? What's he benching? Do you know what yeah. I mean? What's he? How is he so? Superman. <laughs> 
Superman should be an absolute weed, right? Or <laughs> Superman should look like us, right? Yeah. Where he's just sort of like the stronger... He comes from an alien planet and he comes down to Earth and he is just as muscly as Super- as Batman, right? And you kind of like an Aquaman. They're all really muscly. Yeah, they have to be because they're like on Earth. It's Superman- one of the things in the Zack Snyder uh, universe of Superman films. The fact when he's just as Clark Kent walking about in a T-shirt and he's massive... I do go, I mean, it. you look like you can put someone through a wall anyway. Like it doesn't, you, you, there's no sort of sense of Superman being super. <laughs> Whereas I think the great thing about Christopher Reeve was he was just a very tall, quite broad man. So he was quite a big guy. So it kind of made sense when he's Superman. But it also makes sense that when he's Clark Kent, he just looks a bit awkward because he's a bit tall and a bit kind of, you know, gawky. It's, it's sort of perfect. Superman should absolutely not have veins bulging through his muscles. Do you know what I mean? It's like you go, you're Superman. Maybe on your home planet when you were lifting something that was heavy, but on Earth, nothing is heavy. So, what? How are you getting? How are you maintaining those muscles? You should just be like a regular guy that can lift stuff up. Yeah. Um, so, I think we've torn the DC universe a new one. Um, I don't think Batman and Superman deserve to uh deserve to i don't think i don't think it matters if they're in the same universe and i think what's good about marvel is they've created this universe but even at the beginning it was like iron man and then they were like and now we're doing thor and it was like thor but you've just created this real world iron man thing how does thor and then when they started adding all these fantastical elements to it you go yeah yeah, yeah cool but at first, it was a little bit of a stretch. I don't know. I don't really care about any of these films. Uh, Jack, Jack Nicholson uh, is a great actor. Anger Management is a weird film. Uh, but he also did, like, little comedies. And he did, like... He did films that were just kind of... I guess he did films where... I mean, he did films that were comedies, but they were always, like, almost like prestige comedies, Right. He, he's in broadcast news, and he's yeah, he's in those James L. Brooks films, isn't he? Yeah. But they're kind of prestige comedies, aren't they? They're like um, they're comedies that probably get Oscar-nominated screenplays and things. Yes, sure. But he also did like Man Trouble with Ellen Barkin. You know what I mean? So it's kind of and Wolf. Whereas mm. you get the impression with Wolf that they were just like oh, it's a werewolf film, and we're going to put Jack Nicholson in it. Yeah, yeah. And then it was like that's the casting, right? That's what we do. Um, Heartburn. Have you ever seen Heartburn? No, no. He's retired now, isn't he, Nicholson? He's part and um, Gene Hackman. I, I just find it a bit frustrating sometimes when you go, you've got these two kind of great American actors who have both kind of gone. I mean, they've earned the right to retire, like anyone does. But like, I do find it sometimes where you go, they're both still knocking about, but they've both gone. I've sort of done it all now. They both feel that they've kind of played Would everything you- they want to do. Gene Hackman retired in something like 2003. Mm. His last film was Welcome to Mooseport, starring Ray Romano. <laughs> um, and I like Ray Romano, but um, that was meant to be a terrible film that nobody went to see. And Gene Hackman was just like, nah. And now he writes cowboy books. Oh, I like that idea, though. So he's sort of like a novelist now. Uh, Jack Nicholson, I don't know what Jack Nicholson does. He plays golf, I guess. I know he's good mate still with Bruce Stern, isn't he? Which I quite like as a 
idea as well. So they both hang out together. Well, that was nice. That's one of the nice things about anger management is that Harry Dean Stanton turns up and you're kind mm. of like, oh, there you go. Because they were best mates. And yeah, I, I know I had something else to say about Jack Nicholson, but I can't remember what it was. Anyway, tell your friends if you're enjoying this. Um, <laughs> you're listening to Fan Club. My name's Nick. This is Nathaniel. Oh, my God. And uh, this, is, uh, this is this week's Fan Club. Um, it was your birthday last week my birthday last week yeah and you've had a fucking birthday haircut i did and on my birthday itself which is quite nice was it, it was weird though like i quite like the idea of having a haircut i wanted to get my haircut it looks great you were you posted that picture of tony blair oh yeah and you were like is this what is this what and when when you put the picture up it was like yeah it's kind <laughs> of like it is that it's that it's that long during tony the during lockdown one my hair sort of grew that by the end, just before I got a haircut, I had the same hair that um, Whacking Phoenix has in the Joker film. And I was like, no, it looks like that's what I'm doing. It's too close to the film coming out. Like, I feel like I've got that hair suddenly. So I'm quite glad to get it cut. It's a weird thing, though. You are, like, holding a mask over your face, which you're sort of going, this doesn't do anything. Do you know what I mean? You totally, I totally understand why we're doing it. But it's almost as soon as you've got to take the things off from behind your ears and you're basically holding a mask like that over your face, you just think, who is this helping, really? Like, I mean, what, what, who are we protecting now? It's just sort of like the pretense of it. Like, mm. I mean, I guess you've just got to that point go, you almost want to apologise to the guy and go, well, I, I hope I don't have COVID and I hope you don't. And that's all we can do at this point because this isn't doing anything. <laughs> So it's quite a, a weird thing. I think the last haircut I had, though, was dreadful. And I don't even think they did sort of cut the sides of my hair very well. And I had a big floppy bit of hair on one side where it wasn't cut properly. But I can understand. It's difficult. It's difficult to try and cut cut hair when people have got masks around their ears. And maybe some of, these, be a people, nightmare. Maybe some of these people weren't um, hairdressers going into lockdown, you know? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Funny thing to have taken up, though, uh, during lockdown, lockdown one, come out of this, going to live my dream and be a hairdresser. No, you've got, all, you've got all, all your life, haven't you, to learn how to cut people's hair. Uh, all on lockdown, you know. I quite Who, like the idea of being able to cut hair, actually. Probably quite a nice skill. Mm. <laughs> I've, well, I used to cut my own hair. I cut my own hair for years and years and years. Did you? And then um, uh, I had a girlfriend that was uh, cut hair. She was did hair and makeup on TV. So she cut my hair. And then we split up. And then I cut my own hair. And then she saw that I'd cut my own hair. <laughs> that was the... That was the thing that got us back in contact again. <laughs> it was like, you're not going out like that, are you? <laughs> so then she came over and cut my hair again. And you go, oh, that's a nice way of kind of being friends. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I like cutting my own hair. I haven't cut my own hair in a while, though. I feel a little bit like, but what if I need long hair? But I'm also thinking, what if I go bald and this is my last chance to enjoy having short hair? I feel like that all the time. But I think often when my hair's long, I notice things like, as it would do naturally, I notice more like hair in a plug hole. So I, I, I decide, oh, I'm going bald. This is the end. And I get my hair cut and then go, no, no, there's just less hair now. 
because it's I guess it's less likely to drop out because it's it would the hair hair drops out and then, I don't know I I don't brush my hair I just um so every so often I will brush my hair once every eight weeks not two months eight weeks I'll brush my hair and all sorts of fucking hair will be like being yanked out of my fucking head it's normal to shed between fifty and a hundred hairs a day. I don't doubt it. Mm, I guess, but there's a lot of it in me. I haven't counted, but there's a, I've got a few of them. Oh, you don't look like you're going bald, mate. Good. But I, t- I, t- I, don't, I don't want to. Jack Nicholson's last film was How Do You Know in 2010. Don't even know what that is. That, I, think that had, I think that was a James L. Brooks film, and I think it had, like, Owen Wilson and Reese Witherspoon and... Oh, Paul oh, Rudd. Oh, says Paul Rudd here. Um... And I think it was one of the biggest flops of all time. And then I guess it's kind of... I guess you get to a point where you go, I've done Chinatown. One for the cuckoo's nest. You know, uh, I've been the Joker. I've been Hoffer. I've been in an Adam Sandler film. I've done everything that I need to do. I should just stop having to get up early in the morning and... Hmm. Hmm. It was a box office bomb, grossing forty nine million against a hundred and twenty million budget. Yeah, but I, I, I hope that it wasn't the film not doing well that made him go. I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah, like also that's a the public have spoken film for a comedy, right? Yes, but you've million. got you've got Paul Rudd, Jack Nicholson, Reese Shears, Reese Reese Witherspoon, Owen Wilson. So oh, that's what? Your budget gone. Does Jack Nicholson what? He's getting ten million straight off the top, yeah. or is he getting like, twenty million straight off the top just by being in it? Like, like half of that is on salaries, is on stars. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, and it would have cost more than that as well with marketing. Um, oh god, it's really annoying me. I can't remember what it is, but we've got a song to play. Everyone, we can we? play so, a song and maybe it'll come back to us. The combined salaries for the director and the four major stars Nicholson, Wilson, Rudd, it's and with about 50 million. Yeah, that's well, almost what I said. More than, more than Nicholson at the time. Interesting. That's what I said, isn't it? But I think Nicholson was probably a cameo and it was Witherspoon's film. I think you would what you got Reese with a spoon, and then she's the star, and then you got Nicholson in like four scenes. That's and right for twelve million. Sprinkle him throughout, and then you got twelve million. Um, all right, let's play a song, and then let's talk about something because yeah. Lord knows we haven't yet. <laughs> and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on FUBAR Radio. And we're back, we're back. Um, apparently the Charlie Sheen TV series Anger Management was based on the movie Anger Management, but I thought that they were just unrelated with the same title. That's that's what I thought. I wasn't even aware they'd done a TV show with... Charlie Sheen? It's, it's like when he left Two and a Half Men, he went off to do... Well, I guess he got offered Anger Management. I guess it was literally... Oh, he's free. And then they jumped on him and they were like, if we get Charlie Sheen in our sitcom, 
then we're going to get at least another season out of this, right? Yeah. I mean, at that time, he'd he'd sort of become the biggest star off Two and a Half Men. I, you know, it's such a, a show I've got no time for at all. But you, it's massively popular, wasn't it? I think it's one of the worst films, uh, TV shows. I, th- I think it's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was it's... disgusting. I thought everyone came out of that looking bad. Not, yeah. not, not the actors, but it was just like men, women, the level of the jokes. and I, I mean, it made me feel... Um, it made me feel like a Christian. I was like, do you know what I mean? I was like, I, I was like very anti two and a half men. I was like, fucking, you know, I thought everyone just came out of it. So but it, it was such a bleak, depressing uh, sitcom. So sort of like cynical and, oh yeah, it just made me miserable watching it. So I didn't. <laughs> and, uh, and but like everything, yeah. Uh, anyway, let's not bother. Um, <laughs> let's not bother. Oh, right. Okay. So, um, what have I been a fan of this week? Tell you what I saw this week. Yeah, I saw Citizen Kane for the first time. Oh yeah, never seen it. I have obviously tried to see it. Uh, it's, uh, so there's a few films that 2001: A Space Odyssey. Uh, never got through. Uh, I've, I think I've probably seen all of 2001, just not all in one go. <laughs> Citizen Kane, I felt like I'd seen it. It's just, I just can't. I, you're told that they're good. Yeah, I, obviously it was the, it was regarded as the best film ever made uh, for many years until fairly recently when they uh, officially titled Vertigo the best film ever made. Don't have a problem watching Vertigo. I could watch that over and over again. Mm. Um, Citizen Kane is just one of those. Like even Citizen Kane, I was, the TV was on, and um, it was on BBC Two on Saturday, and it's at two thirty. They said Citizen Kane is now on BBC, and I paused it. I paused the TV, and I just tweeted, "Right, Citizen Kane's on BBC Two. I'm going to watch it." And uh, people liked my tweet. Uh, I'd had a few interactions with the tweet. Some 45 minutes had passed and I looked up and it was still paused because I hadn't bothered watching it. <laughs> I just had the glory of saying that I was going to watch it. <laughs> and then I didn't. And then, like, uh, that evening, people would messaged and said, uh, well, what did you think of it? And it's like, I didn't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then I felt like, oh, I've got to watch it. It can't be one of them people that's just posing and saying that you're going to watch Citizen Kane and then you don't watch Citizen Kane can't be one of those people that says they're going to watch Citizen Kane and then doesn't watch Citizen Kane so I watched it um yeah I've seen it what did you have you seen it yeah and I I would I saw it I think when I was a teenager and I was struck by like I think it's a really watchable film and it was I think I was I went into it expecting to watch something difficult and I found it really watchable, and I love all the kind of performances in it. And I have got a real soft spot for Joseph Cotton anyway in things, especially yeah. when he's like the lead. I think he's such a, an interesting, weird leading man. So, but, what do you what do you, what do you know Joseph Cotton from? Like almost like when you see him in like horror films, and when he's in like The Third Man, and um, he seems to pop up. And he was in like Heaven's Gate and things. Like quite later, later on, on when he's like a kind of character actor. And it's interesting to see those guys in 
when they're actually stars. You know, they're the sort of leading man. Yes. And actually, I, mean, I, I think saw... it's quite unusual as well. He doesn't strike me as like super good looking or anything. He's got a sort of quite a sinister air to him. Well, he can be either, can't he? Mm. he um, he was in, but I think he was mainly used for sinister stuff, wasn't he? Mm. He was Shadow saw... of a Doubt. Shadow of a Doubt. Okay, so I saw Niagara recently, um, which was great. Have you seen Niagara, the Marilyn Monroe no. movie? Oh, it's brilliant. The scenery, I mean, Niagara is one of those films where they film it in and around Niagara Falls. And they've literally gone, half the, half the budget, is, or half the film, is all we need to do is just film Niagara Falls. Like we need to just do the best shots we can, like of the of of the waterfalls, of the architecture, of just all the surrounding. You, you know, you you film like the area around Niagara Falls, and and we've got all of our money's on screen. Plus, we've got Marilyn Monroe, so we film and she's playing a bad guy, and it's just sort of like it's a re- it's not like got the best story and it's not got the best pacing to it. But as one of those films that sort of like just, you know, drizzles over you as you're watching it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I think Niagara Falls was just this great film. And Joseph Cotton's in that. And he's also in Shadow of a Doubt, which when you take away uh, Psycho, Vertigo, North by Northwest, when you take away kind of like the big ones, you know, the big... The, the cliches, yeah? The big Hitchcocks. It's like Shadow of a Doubt might be one of my favourites. Might be... Mm. You know, I, I, Psycho is one of my favourite films. North by Northwest is one of the greatest films ever made. Um, I love Vertigo. I love these films. Shadow of a Doubt. Oh, it's such a fucking good one. It's early as well. Yeah. He made it like a couple of years after Citizen Kane, so 43 or 44, maybe 42, but early. Increasingly, I just think, I think he's probably just quite good, this guy. That he's just He just makes good films. Who, Joseph Cotton, Hitchcock. Yeah. Well, his films are good, and even something, something like Family Plot um, is still watchable, even though... If you watch it in the context of other Hitchcock films, you go, it's great. If you watch it in the context of what else was being made at the time, you kind of like go, whoa. Because I think um, Family Plot came out around the same time as Bullet, didn't it? Right. That and Bullet was doing all these amazing car chases, and then he's still using, like, rear projection and all this other stuff. So, um, so I think Hitchcock is probably the greatest director that ever lived. And... There's so much you can get off those. But, like, when you watch the ones that aren't the big hitters, like, yeah, um, Shadow of Doubt. Um, I didn't really like, what's the, the man who knew too much? I, I like that a lot. No, I've got a lot of time for it. I didn't really Family Plot is one I can't really get into. I'm a big fan of Frenzy, but I know people don't like it. And I really like Frenzy. And that's a that's again is a very late one. It's the one. Whereas I think Family Plot does feel a bit plodding to me. It's just a bit like, to if almost like if it if it stopped one film earlier, I would have been like, yeah, good for you, man. That's but great. Family Plot was very much like a pilot for the Alfred Hitchcock series, though, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it feels it feels like that. But I still I still enjoyed it when I watched it. But it's not. 
it's not in the same league as the big ones, but but what is in the same league as the big ones is um, uh, Shadow of Doubt, but also, uh, so what's the other one I watched? Strangers on the Train, which has got a more famous title, I would say, than it does film. I'd, I'd say more people have heard of it than they have seen it. Hmm. And, oh, my God, it's good. Like, so... Um, so that's that. So Joseph Cotton. Um, yes. So that's how you know Joseph Cotton. Keep talking to me about Citizen Kane, please. Well, I I I liked Citizen Kane from that point on. I found it very watchable. But I've never had that thing where I didn't watch it and go, "Well, that's one of my favourite films." What I watched it doing was I found myself going, "I found it very watchable," which I think is a positive thing. But then the main thing I did after that was go, "Oh, that's quite clever." oh, I like what they did there. That's quite smart. And at the end of it, it was like a watchable film. And I think that's the difference between something like that and a Hitchcock film, which has a similar thing where you're really aware of what he's doing all the time. You're really aware that you're being pulled in all these different directions and the camera's making you think one thing and it's showing you another. And it's doing all that, but it's less... It's almost... There's a bit of Citizen Kane which feels a bit like... It's like someone saying, by the way, I'm doing something quite clever now. And it is watchable, and it's very, like, it's an entertaining film, but I've never loved it in the way that I love a lot of movies. But I would also say that I've never found it difficult to watch. It's, and I've watched it a few times because it's like, yeah, I can watch that again. It's never been something that I've, I thought was, like, eating my greens or anything like that. I think it's, it also works as quite a decent kind of just proper movie that's uh, easy easy enough watch what what i would say you notice is um it's like the blueprint of how to do a biopic mm. you know but it's kind of like it, it could be sid and nancy or it could be uh walk the line you know it could, it's like um there's a guy and he has success and then he loses his success and then and it's kind of like you go, oh yeah, that's how you do it. And there's some amazing shots in it. I I enjoyed it, right? And I haven't stopped thinking about it since I watched it. Um, the difference between him and Hitchcock, and Hitchcock was making films around that same time, yeah. Um, but yet to do kind of like the really big stuff. Have you ever seen Touch of Evil? <laughs> no, but I'm familiar with the. Um, the soundtrack to it because it was on a CD I had when I was a teenager called This Is Cult Fiction. Right. And it was like all Tarantino-inspired stuff. And then you'd have like the theme tune from Joe 90 on there and the theme tune from Touch of Evil. And the theme tune from Touch of Evil is great. I think it's going to be my next thing is to sort of like sit through and watch some awesome Wells stuff. Yeah, I haven't seen a great deal. And the stuff I have seen, I saw Lady from Shanghai recently and I was a bit... I was... Yeah. Oh, really? Because that was going to be a William Castle film. There was kind of yeah. William, William Castle. Oh, because did you read the book? Yeah, yeah. He was going to, that was his thing that he wanted to. And did, did he actually, didn't uh, Wells kind of do the dirty on him a bit? Yeah, Wells, uh, William Castle. There's this book that me and Nat have read about William Castle. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but Google it. There's not many books about him. Uh, William Castle, brilliant. It's a great book. It's a great fucking book. He, it's, uh, he self-penned it, but then he also wrote, like, um, uh, an epilogue for after he died. 
and appendices <laughs> and so it's sort of like it's like it's printed from beyond the grave it's it's funny um but william castle basically put all of the stuff together for this project that he could make with orson wells and orson wells sort of like elbowed him out and uh, took over i think he's still a producer and a yeah. similar thing happened with rosemary's baby in polanski where william castle wanted to direct it it was like he shot at legitimacy because he was doing films like the tingler and uh house on haunted hill uh, and 13 ghosts and stuff like that yeah. uh where what was that um jim crawford film that he did maniac was that what it was called yes yeah maniac i think and so he did sort of like um, uh, exploitation films, basically, that had gimmicks th- to get you into the cinema. Um, if you've ever seen the John Goodman film Matinee, basically that's a that's kind of a tribute to William Castle. Um, and he really wanted to be legitimate, and Roman Polanski and Orson Welles both fucked him over, really. Um, but I think he's got a cameo in Rosemary's Baby, and, and and he's still friends with Orson Welles. He doesn't take it badly. No. He's sort of like a very upbeat, beautiful uh, personality, really, uh, that comes across. William Castle. Oh, God, I love William Castle. Um, he was like the low-rent Hitchcock. Yeah. Where... And I think he probably acknowledges as well that he probably would have ended up making a lot more money out of Rosemary's Baby than he would have done were it a William Castle film. Yes, and I think he would have done something. Uh, they went art house with Rosemary's mm. Baby, and he would have done something else. But, um, but uh, yeah, so I haven't seen Lady in Shanghai. I've seen The Third Man. Um, I've seen l- more interviews with Orson Welles than I have films, and I, you know, I'm interested. And, and it's like later on when they did like uh, Rod Steiger and uh, Christopher Plummer did Waterloo. They needed someone to be the King of France, and you go, yeah, we'll get. Uh, Orson Welles to come out and do the King of France. So it's kind of like um, he was like a, a living legend. I think Citizen Kane is a great film. I really did uh, like it. I I had to stop it. I had to keep checking the time. It felt a very like a very long film. It's two hours. It felt much longer. And I had to watch the entire series of Line of Duty Series 6 in one day <laughs> on Sunday, I'd like binge watch the entire thing because uh, my girlfriend wanted to. We had put it off, and then it was the last series, and she was like, "I want to be part of <laughs> the general public for tonight." And I was like, "Okay." So we binge watched it all. That felt like an easier job than watching Citizen Kane in some places. Technically, you're watching it, going, "That's fucking incredible." You need to know before you watch it how none of this existed beforehand or yeah. how it wasn't really, you know, having kind of like um, to focus so that uh, it was in focus in the back and in focus in, in the foreground and the background at the same time. That was sort of like a technique that was used, but not loads. And he really kind of did, did a lot of it. There are definite bits in it where you are a bit like, I'm, I don't really know how you've done that. Like, yeah. I still don't know. And presumably there was people literally pulling sets apart while they were filming. Yeah. So the bit when the camera goes through the sign, it's like a neon sign, the sign split apart. And Hitchcock was doing stuff like that when Mm. a camera has to go through a door. He'd always cheat stuff like 
they would open the door and the camera would go through the door and then the actor would mime closing the door, but he couldn't actually close the door because the camera was going through the door. And then the whole front of the house would split in half and then the whole crew would go through and then it would go into the house. You go, yeah, it's amazing shots. The, the best shot in Citizen Kane, I think, is um, when he's a child playing in the snow outside and they're watching him at the window and then it all comes through and then the woman signs him away to the uh, adoption house and... Um, and then it goes back to the window, and then you see him. And all the way through, you just see him in focus outside, playing in the, playing in the garden. That's an incredible shot. There's some incredible stuff um, in. There's incredible stuff in Citizen Kane. What I would say is, I'm not really interested in the story. And what Hitchcock is great at is, it, it, he is not afraid to be kind of lowbrow or um, mm. populist. I think Citizen Kane is about a newspaper a billionaire magnate. Um, uh, it, yeah, when you watch it, we we were basically talking after we saw it, and we were saying that um, uh, there's sort of like a lot of very relevant things in Citizen Kane, all about like how whoever owns the media controls the media. Um, uh, and we're looking at a thing where Disney are buying more and more uh, media houses and production companies and Rupert Murdoch owns like all the newspapers and so you have very few people that are in control of all the information and Citizen Kane was saying that in 1941 hmm. um, it's kind of like this very sort of like interesting film when you watch it they say something about someone getting cancelled uh, and that's not even where that came from um, you know that's not where your cancelled comes from cancel culture, but it's they mention it in Citizen Kane. It's kind of so it feels very relevant and very sort of like modern in places. The camera work is incredible, technically it's great, um, but what it doesn't have is it doesn't have that, that kind of like wound up toy car thing that Hitchcock has, where he'll tell you you're in a safe pair of hands. This is going to be a lot of fun, and then he lets the car go, and you watch it go. And all of this technical stuff is attached to a yeah. story that is worth telling. But yeah. Citizen Kane is kind of like um, an exercise in filmmaking. And you're kind of like, oh, yeah, it's great. And the way it... But it feels more like a bit of an exercise, I think. I think that's spot on. I think that's like a really good... Like, I think I watched Citizen Kane at the time when I'd be a teenager, so I was becoming more and more interested in making films. So you kind of watch it in that way. Whereas I was watching Hitchcock films when I was a kid, like To Catch a Thief or something. And before you notice anything that's sort of clever about it, you're just watching like a pot boiler. You know, you're watching a proper... So as a kid, you you like those movies because they're still exciting and things. And it's yeah. when you watch them again, you go, oh, God, that's clever. I never picked up on that before. And how that's been put together and is uh, clever. And that's why you think like that while you're watching and and obviously, you know, um, all of his films have, like, these incredible central performances that are really engaging, that, that help you forget about the mechanics. Mm. You know, you're watching James Stewart. You can watch James Stewart in anything. You can watch Cary Grant in anything. Uh, Anthony Perkins is just absolutely fantastic in Psycho. Yeah. So you, you're watching these performances where you go, and you've got this fucking incredible plot. And on top of that, it's just technically, whereas Citizen Kane, great performances. That's one thing that's going on. Great technical stuff. That's another thing. The story is okay. I watched Troll 2 as well. Troll 2, <laughs> which is 
uh, widely regarded as the Citizen Kane of bad movies. <laughs> it's the worst film ever made. I probably enjoyed watching Troll 2 more than I enjoyed watching <laughs> Citizen Kane. But Citizen Kane, without a doubt, is the best. Um, uh, Casablanca was made around about the same time. And I would say, you know, Casablanca is, like, like we've said in the past, Casablanca's got one of these very kind of like sentimental movie, movie plots. You know, the dialogue is kind of like, it's not real dialogue, but it's the sort of dialogue that you feel only exists in movies. And it's because of Casablanca that you have dialogue like that. That sort of movie dialogue that you get in Casablanca that's quotable and all this other stuff. You know, when you watch Casablanca, you feel like you are watching, this is how you do it, guys. And it's the same thing with Citizen Kane, but on a more technical level. And I, you know, if I had to pick, I I would definitely say Casablanca is the greatest film of all time. If you're going to be like a film snob and not count anything past 1960, mm. then you'd go... Well, Casablanca. I, I would say Casablanca over Vertigo. But the fact that Citizen Kane was there for so long, it's just like, are you watching this as a comfort film? Is this what you're watching, you know, on a, on, a, on a sad day and you're feeling all a bit depressed and it's raining outside? Are you whacking on Casablanca and putting a... Are you whacking on Citizen Kane and putting a blanket on and eating biscuits, watching it? No, you're absolutely not. You could do that with Casablanca, you know. Right. We're getting shouted out because we've got to do fan mail. So, oh, we're number 203 in Estonia, Nat. Oh, that is, that's worse, isn't it? Isn't it? Well, or is it I better? Think, I don't know. We, we've got nothing to base that on, Natalie, because yeah. um, we've never had an Estonia before, have we? I guess it's good. All right, Brian. Ah, here we go. <laughs> and now it's been a, I don't, I've been out of sorts for about five weeks now, I think. It's not been, I've not felt myself in a while, but here we go. Ah, dear Nick and Nat, I started watching the new docuseries with Morgan Freeman called History of God. I'm not a particularly religious person, but I have to say that it's really good. I love Morgan Freeman. Have you watched it? Cheers, Danny. I'm guessing Morgan Freeman's doing the History of God because he is God. Mm. Is that right? He's the voice of God. I've never even heard of this. Um, I imagine it's probably about the history of gods and people who believe in gods, right? Could be quite interesting. Not yeah. heard of it, though. No. Sure. No, I've not seen it. Uh, I hope that the next question's a bit spicier. Hey, Nick and Nat! How are you doing? You're lo- oh, I'm going to do it all joined up, right? Hey, Nick and Nat, how you doing, you lovely boys? I recently watched Emily in Paris, and I can see why French people are so pissed off with it. Have you heard about the whole controversy? Honestly, the storyline is just fucking stupid. Have you watched it? Holly. I've not seen it. I have heard of it. No, I've not I, seen I, it. I've not seen it. Is, it, is, it. is that what the controversy is? It's just a bit like a fake France or something? I don't know. I've not seen any of the controversy. No, me uh, either. I've just binge. Come on, guys! I've just binge watched the whole of season six of uh, Line of Duty, so that I can be part of the conversation. And now you're throwing all this stuff at me. It's awful. Here's a good watch for you, Nathaniel. Mm-hmm. <coughs> uh, I really was in the mood for watching some Anthony Hopkins. Oh yeah. So I, I said a 
Anthony Hopkins into my voice-activated remote control, and it came up with a head-to-head or face-to-face. It's, it's an interview series. Oh, face-to-face, yeah, yeah. From the 60s, is it? From, this is from the 90s. I think it had a relaunch. Oh, okay. But it was from the 60s, so I'm going to go back because they've got, like, Martin Luther King and all these, you know, like, historical figures. And then yeah, in yeah. the 90s, they did sort of, like, Anthony Hopkins, uh, Adam Faith. Um, so I'm going to go back. But the Anthony Hopkins one, I watched twice in one night. Um, it's absolutely it's stunning. Yeah, I might watch that then. Maybe we'll talk about that it's, next week. It's stunning. That sounds we'll up my next week. All right. Hello, boys. How are you? Now that the lockdown is going to be slightly lifted, what are your plans? Cheers, Fabian. I'm never leaving my flat again. <laughs> yeah, I no, think... not, not a lot. If you, want, if you want to send us some fan mail, the fan club address is fanclub at fubarradio.com. Yeah, and, uh, and don't be... Uh, don't be like Danny, Holly, and Fabian. Uh, try and write in something you know that's worth our time. Um, right, let's play a song. We're this gonna is play our, our guests' our, choice. It's our, it's our guests' favorite song. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, you know who the guest is because you're clicking on a link saying this is who our guest is, but for, for people that are everyone knows, who's our, okay, fine, unless you're listening live. Unless you're listening live, maybe you don't know who the guest is. Sure. All right. Our next guest has got to um, uh, own up to this monstrosity. (laughs) Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on FUBAR Radio. We're back live in the studio. We're not. We're not in the studio. Uh, I'm in my spare room, and uh, Nat's in his washroom. And we're not live. Uh, we're pre-recorded. But aside from that, we we absolutely are. And we're joined. <laughs> we're joined now. It's all bullshit. We're joined now, uh, live in the studio. I've just said we're not uh, by a TV presenter, actor, uh, adventurer, basically uh, Charlie Borman. Hello, Charlie Borman. How are you? Hey, very well, thank you. Yeah, and I'm sitting here in my in my in my living room, I suppose, with my dog. <laughs> I What's know. your dog called? A dog's called Woody. Woody. Okay. Woody. Oh. Yeah, my children, my my kids uh, named him. But you know, he's a he's a lovely fella. He really is. He's 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 partly poodle, so he's a, he's a sproodle. Oh right. That, you know, look if anyone's remote. interested, <laughs> he look just looks like, like a spaniel poodle. <laughs> Not at all, you know, anyway. But he's got his intelligence of his father. Um, so, you know, so that he doesn't do much. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've just been uh, listening to your... F- okay, so this is your favourite song of all time. is Mr. Yep. Writer by the Stereophonics. Yes, yeah, it is. And no, I mean, it, it's interesting because when I... I don't know if people know what, what, what I did, what I've done, but I, I suppose people know me most for riding around the world on a motorbike with um with Ewan McGregor and and when we were doing the first one long way around when we went from London to New York um we uh, it, the stereophonics was was one of the bands that we listened to all the time and 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 um and and then somehow somehow we ended up going to um to there was a charity do and the stereophonics were playing with the who at, in the Albert Hall 
and 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 we met them afterwards and and Kelly had this had this script that he gave to you and and he said look you will you read the script and you and said no, I'll read the script if you if you write the title song for long way long way long way round and and so that, that's that's how we met them and so somehow the stereophonics has has been in my life or in our lives um you know, since since two thousand and four, two thousand five. So so um, so they they wrote the 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 they wrote the theme tune to Long Way Around. Right. They were and then down the... and then and then recently we did up. And so but Kelly was saying, look, I'm going to do what I'm going to record is the is the up bit. And and so he uh, so he just sort of just sliced it in, and he said it was really difficult because he had to match his voice from twelve <laughs> years ago. And he said that you know, he had this twelve-year-old years ago voice that is not the same today. So anyway, so he didn't re-record the entire track. He just said no. We, we just we just microphone. we just put it in. Well, a, a little bit more, you know, put a little yeah, yeah. run into it. But, no, I do. But more or less. So if you listen to it really carefully, you see this the long way or something. That's great. Like that. <laughs> and do you know what became of his screenplay? Of oh, a screenplay, yeah, no, it was it was, it was very good. Um, and and um, uh, but I don't know. You don't know. Okay. Um, we were going to say as well, like we, we we always talk about favorite things on this, and your favorite film is the Shawshank Redemption. Why did you pick that? Well, because like I just thought if I chose one of my own, I, that would seem a bit kind of weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> if you were no, to pick no, one, I, mean, of your I, own. I tell you, I love that. I love that movie, and I, I remember I went to see it by mistake the first time. It was it was a slight slow burner when it first came out. And, yeah. and and um and and I went to go and see some other movie, but there, there were no um there were you know it was it Tickets. was full. So yeah. the guy said, I said, well, what's starting now? And they said, oh, this film about these guys in a prison. I don't know. He said, and so and all right, well, and so we went into it, and it just blew me away. I mean, it I, I think it kind of launched. It, it kind of really Morgan Freeman was was around forever. He'd been around, but that I think really kind of elevated him into the stratosphere, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, what year was it? Was it 95? 95, 95, I think, yeah. 95. Wow, yeah. Gosh, so it, was, it, was, it was just, the whole story was great. He was so conniving and cunning, and, you know, yeah. none of us expected it. You know, when you first see that movie, you, at the end, when that when the guy throws that that that, that the little, um, uh, the chess pieces at, yeah. the, at that poster, and, and it goes through the poster, and he suddenly realizes what's happened, and uh, it's just brilliant. It was, okay. it was, Tim Robbins was coming off the back of, yeah. what, Roberts, uh, had Psycho Proxy, mm-hmm. something else, and then Shawshank Redemption came along, and it was kind of like, oh, right, yeah, it's Tim Robbins again, and, um, and yeah, Morgan Freeman had done sort of stuff like Robin Hood and Driving Miss Daisy. Yeah, um, oh, and he'd been, like, way before that, he'd been in, um, if you look at his career, he, he'd hmm. been in so many movies for such a long time, Yeah. You know? Um, but it was always the end of that movie really irritated me because because you could tell that that you know they that it, it it finished when he gets on the bus and he's free, and then of course because the audience you know they must have shown it to the audiences and they didn't want enough so then suddenly there's this add-on at the end when he's when Morgan Freeman's walking along the beach and and there's uh, there's um, there he is fixing some boat mm, on some that okay. just didn't work. But um, that was the only bit I would criticize. But do you think that that in the film? Do you think that that is uh, real, or is that a, an imagination, or is that a dream? Oh, what the very last bit of? Mm. Well, I, I, I think it sort of sets it all up, doesn't it? And, and I think sometimes when when you release movies, you you you, you do tests beforehand, and mm. if the audience don't understand it, they'll add something on to mm. to to finish it off. 
and 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 I, I just felt that was that's what that was that we they were visualizing what he had in his mind already. Yeah. Right, yeah. I had a similar experience watching. It. I watched it at the cinema. It was it came out weirdly. It, it was at the big Odeon Cinema in Leicester Square. So they'd obviously sort of put a bit of effort into promoting it. Yeah. It was in this huge auditorium. I went in there, and there was a, there was about like three or four of us in the screen. And I loved it, but almost at the end of it going, I guess you won't hear about that film again. It felt a bit like that. It just felt <laughs> yeah. like, you know, we're the only people that bothered to go and see it. And it just became, yeah, it totally had this sort of second life on, on video. video and stuff, oh, for yeah. sure, for sure. But then the, 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 the same, I had this, this same amazing feeling about another movie, which, which I was thinking about saying was my favourite, was, was a, a French film called, uh, called um, Untouchable, or Untouchable, about a guy in a wheelchair. And, mm. and a, a carer comes along. I don't know if you've seen that film. No. They remade and, it, and, didn't and they? they? Yeah, they remade, remade it. Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart. Yeah, it, well, it was good, either. but not as good as the original. But mm. but but that. I mean, I'm I'm dyslexic, so reading reading um subtitled movies is is is, is just fucking vain. Oh no, sorry, is a real pain in the ass for me. And and um, uh, but I sat down, and and it was so well made that that I just watched the movie, and that was one of the first movies where where. The, the film finished and the lights came up and I turned to my wife and I said, do you know, if they played that again right now, I'd just watch the whole thing again. I just love that movie. I can't stress how good that movie is as well. Mm. Apart from all the ones that I've done, which you can look online and, you know, obviously. Of yeah, they're the best ones. <laughs> but I mean, we've got to say apart from those ones. That's how apart we judge all movies. <laughs> yes, exactly. Apart from, I... what's your favourite movie? What, apart from <laughs> the Charlie Borman <laughs> filmography? Yeah. Oh, well, if, apart, if it's not those, then probably... Uh... <laughs> I find that... I find that I watch films differently these days. When I was a kid and I was growing up, um, I could re-watch the same film. Well, because of video shops, I suppose. You'd rent out Three Amigos on Friday night, you'd watch it, and then you'd watch it again on Saturday morning, <laughs> and then maybe a friend would come over, and then you'd watch it again. And yeah. you'd, you could watch like a film over and over again. I find that these days I'll watch a film that's really good, and I'll go, that was good. And only very rarely do I have a film that like eats away in my head where I'm like, oh, I've got to see that again. Yeah. And you know those yeah, no, special. I mean, it does. I mean, I, I, I travel normally when, when, you know, if we're not all in lockdown and COVID, you know, I, I normally mm. travel four or four or seven months of the year doing different projects around the world. And, but, um, but I, I have like six or seven movies that, that I, that I really like on my phone or on my iPad, which I travel with. And, and, and so if, if, if I can't sleep, I'll, I'll turn those films on because, because, because I know them and it, and, and it, it, it doesn't wake me up. So I can yes. actually fall asleep without worrying that that I've I've missed something, you know. So yeah. so 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 I so so I kind of tend to have these like four or five movies that I've seen countless times, but they almost make me, you know, it makes me feel relaxed to go to sleep. Well, I find I find uh, the Empire Strikes Back is I, I, if I put that on, I can go, I can be asleep before they've even had the battle on Hoth, <laughs> like, but because it, it's so because it, it's so white and snowy. It's kind of like it's just very relaxing to watch, yeah. and because I know it so well, and it's one of my favourite films, uh, that you can yeah, there's sort of like a comfort to it. What are the, what are some of the films that you that you take around with you? Oh, I, I take uh, um, well, I take the Shawshank Redemption. I take um, that the, 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 that French film that we spoke about, um, Untouchable, um, and then I'm um, I like 
Batman, Batman Begins. Is it Batman Begins? The one when they take over Gotham City. Uh, or Batman. Anyway, I can't remember which one it is. But I, one of those. And then um, I, uh, uh, one that always makes me laugh is, is, um, is the Coen Brothers movie, which is um, uh, The Big Lebowski. Oh, and, yeah. and and I just I I just I cannot it just makes me laugh every time I see it and and the end of the movie just no matter how many times I see it I still just piss myself with laughter. I mean it's a perfect example of one which is it's one of the most rewatchable movies I think from the past twenty <laughs> years. I can't think of a film that is more rewarding for just rewatch and it feels like something yeah. that doesn't really happen so much. Maybe like Nick saying maybe it's just the time of my life where I'm less likely to watch something again. Yeah. Whereas a big Lebowski, yeah, I will easily watch once a year because it's it. so, it's like, it's like going and meeting some old friends or something. With the big Lebowski, <laughs> I watched the big Lebowski with my girlfriend three weeks ago and she, she's not seen it before. Yeah. And she got to the end of it and she goes, yeah, it's all right. Um, <laughs> the, big, the main character's a bit boring, but well, like, that's enough know. just to just to just to just to dump her right there. Well, you to, go, you know, you that's, be... that's it. <laughs> but what you said, but you know, because you've got to you've got to make your, you know you've got to roll your sleeves up and you've got to rehabilitate yeah. these people, and you have to say you know you might <laughs> yeah, think exactly. it's only all right now, but when you've seen it thirty-five times like me, you'll love it. Right? I think there's some truth to that. Uh, I think it's rewarding. Like if you watch it again, I think you'll get like. If she watched it again in a little while, I reckon she might get something out of it again. You go, yeah. hey, that bit's really funny. Oh, that just, bit's coming that up. Dry, dry humour and just, you know, there's just obvious when he's got the when he's holding the bowling ball and he goes, "What's this?" and he says, "It's a tennis ball or something like that." <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, he says, "Obviously, you're not a golfer." No, it's golfer. That's right. That's it. That's it. It's Obviously, so not good. a golfer. It's so good. Yeah, and to the bit when he's like nailing the um, uh, nailing the chair to the floor to uh, to protect the door, and uh, and it takes him ages. And you go, that is one of the all-time greatest visual gags in any film that's yeah, ever been cool. made. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's and you notice something. I think we talked about this like three three weeks ago. Didn't we? Yeah, we like, but you notice something different about it every single time, and uh, and and yeah, I think it took me like five viewings to realise that the entire plot is literally just about a rug. Yeah, you know? yeah. He just wants the rug back. It, it's it's <laughs> it's funny. You know, my father's a film director, and and he directed films like um like Deliver, Deliverance and Excalibur and Hope and Glory and. A whole bunch of other big, great movies, and 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 uh, um, and he, the Coen brothers came, came stayed at my dad's house in Ireland, and, and he's got a little cottage on uh, where dad lives in the Wicklow Mountains, and dad and dad just has written most of his scripts and produced them and and edited them and directed them and all that kind of stuff, and um, and he said he just he just found it fascinating. He he he'd go down, and and he'd just sit in the cottage with the with the brothers when they were. At, when they were writing and just watched them write. And one of them was on the keyboard, you know, writing away and talking about it. And the other one was pacing up and down in the room. And, and, and he said it was, just, it was just incredible to be able to see two people working together writing a script because it's quite difficult writing, isn't it? It can often be quite a lonely a lonely, a lonely thing, it. you know. And, and, <laughs> I hate it. I know. It's the, well, especially when you're dyslexic as well. It's like, fucking sure. hell, there's a blank page of just nothingness, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's sort of perfect, really, because, I mean, that's almost how you want to imagine people write scripts as well. 
it's almost like yeah. someone that's how someone would write a script in a Coen Brothers film. It'd be someone yes, chatting exactly. while someone's punching a typewriter. But you've buried the lead there because we were going to bring up your dad because your dad is sort of like he's such a big movie director and sort of yeah. historically in the history of movies he's made so many big movies and kind of throughout that period of like the 60s and 70s he would be one of the biggest filmmakers in the world really right there's like yeah and has made so many kind of classic movies like deliverance which i didn't realize you were in yes yeah well i wasn't the banjo player just just so you know yeah, yeah. Or, the, or the guy <laughs> in the woods just you know just want to point that out no but it was it was interesting because right at the end of the movie there's a little boy sitting on a sofa and um and uh, and 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 John Boyd goes back to his wife and his family, and anyway, that's me sitting on the sofa. And my father said to me, he "said Charlie, if you sit on that sofa with that bloke, I'll give you a tricycle." <laughs> Sounded very dodgy, but you know, I wanted that tricycle. But uh, so um, so yeah, no, I mean, and 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 I kind of grew up, you know, just in and out of film sets and, and stuff. And and when you do, you know, and, and like 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 any kid, you know, you you're, whatever your dad does, he's just your dad, you know, and you. You go, you go visit him at work, and 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 then you end up in the movie because my father always said he's got four children. He said, "If there are children in the film, there's no point in paying <laughs> child, child actors when you can yeah, have sure. four of mine for free." So, so <laughs> we were always thrown in. I mean, I I should have held out for points on Deliverance. I'd be a, I'd be a I'd be a millionaire, but you know, I got a tricycle. But it was a beautiful tricycle, cherry red tricycle with yellow flames. I mean, oh, it was, you know, and maybe that's what made me start riding motorcycles. I don't know. Sure. And if not, you'd just be a millionaire. Sat at home. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> I, I read in um, when you're like uh, the biography that you're um, that uh, Lee Marvin is your godfather. Oh, yes. Yeah. No, Lee. No. Yeah. He he. Uh, well, Lee Marvin was 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 he was over here making a movie and he, he, he saw a film that my father did. Um, called Leah the Last uh, with Marcello Mastorani, and it was a very strange, odd kind of movie, and and um, and he loved it, and he and he approached my father and said, "Look, I want you to direct my next movie in in, in America." And Lee Marvin was the biggest, hottest guy at the time. You know, he was he was the the Brad Pitt or whatever you want of the of the time. And so so Dad came over with him, and and he and, and he, he sat down with the producers of Paramount, um, and he said, "Okay, this is John Borman." Then no one knew who he was. And he's the guy who's going to direct my movie. And, and they were all looking at Lee and Dan. They saying, Lee, you sure? And he goes, no, no, this is the guy. So they started talking about what they were going to do. And about two minutes later, Lee Marvin stood up and said, right, well, I'll just leave you guys to it. And he left the room. <laughs> and, he, and Dad said he always remembers it because he saw these producers standing there. And then, and, and, then, and then as Lee left, they were all watching him leave. And then the door closed. And they all looked back at Dad as if to say, well. <laughs> so... Uh, so he, but he was an amazing guy, Lee Marvin. I mean, he, you know, he fought in the Second World War in the South Pacific. He, he, you know, he was a Marine. He was, you know, his platoon were ambushed and his whole platoon were were were, were killed except for him and another guy. I mean, people people don't know know it much, but he was, he was actually shot in the ass. Um, but um, but he, he never really quite liked to talk about that because he was a Marine and and being shot in the ass, you know potentially means that you, you were running away at the time <laughs> so, so he never quite liked that you know um but you know it was a ricochet and he was down and and um and the other guy came back and and he was the only one left and he, he came back and picked him up and carried him out and um but he, he was a funny guy i'll tell you a funny so we got have we got time I, I don't yes know, we got, but, we got, as uh, long as you want uh, I'll, 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 <laughs> so 
um, when when so so Point Blank was 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 a huge movie. It was a massive success. And mm-hmm. If if anybody likes movies out there, definitely pick it up. It's, it's black Great and white, movie. Lee Marvin, very stylized movie. And and that's a little bit about like the rug. He 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 just he gets messed over by his partner, and 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 he just wants his money back. And he just goes off systematically killing everybody until he gets his money. And and um. Uh, and it was the first sort of proper violent movie that 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 was made with sort of proper violence. And um, any, anyway, so the film was a big success. So so um, they were out celebrating on on Malibu Pier, and there was a famous restaurant on Malibu Pier, Pier. And, and this is in Los Angeles on the Pacific Coast Highway, where all the you know the, where all the the big houses are on the beach. And um, anyway, so they're eating, and Lee gets really drunk, and 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 uh, which was you know not unusual. And and um, anyway, so they get out of the car park, and Dad's saying, "Look, Lee, give me the keys because I'll, I'll drive because you're drunk." And Lee wouldn't give them. So have this, they have this tussle in the in the car park, and Dad grabs the keys and he runs to the car and he locks himself in the driver's seat. And my mum and my two older sisters dive into the car on the other side, along with Pam, his wife at the time, and they all close the door. Lee's screaming, shouting, and and eventually he 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 won't get in the car. And so he climbs up onto the roof of the car and he, he won't get off the roof of the car, right? So dad <laughs> thinks, oh, God, how are we going to get home? It's late, you know. So, and it's only down a mile down the Pacific Coast Highway down to the colony where they were living. And and so he thought, oh, I'll just drive down. So he turns onto the PCH, which I don't know how many people know, but it's a really busy road. <laughs> and, and, he, and he's driving down the PCH and he doesn't get like 300 feet or 300 meters and there's a police motorbike coming up the other way. And the police motorbike sees us and he flips around, puts the lights on, pulls dad over. And he's thinking, oh, this is going to be, how am I going to explain this? And so you can imagine Lee being drunk. So he's turned all his attention to the policeman now and saying all sorts of really terrible things to the policeman. <laughs> and the policeman's ignoring him. And he walks up to dad to the car window and he knocks on the driver's side window. And dad rolls down the window thinking, okay, here we go. And the policeman leans in and he goes, sir, do you realize you have Lee Marvin on the roof of your car? <laughs> and my father said, well, actually, yes, I do. And he goes, that's fine, sir. Have a nice evening. And <laughs> off he went. <laughs> that's great. <incredible. laughs> do you think anyway. of him as like such a sort of tough guy actor? And I guess that's borne out in real life, but I guess there's no, also a sure. very kind of sweet side to him that, that seeing his films him, now. I don't know. <laughs> no, he was, he was. He was a lovely guy, um, but he, you know, he did drink a lot. He was, he was, and t- 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 sometimes quite. He, he was, he was, um, he was quite, quite a, a big character. But, but you know, he, he and my father were uh, were best friends forever. And 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 um, you know, and Lee died super young, really, for 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 his talent. And you know, if it wasn't for the drink, he he he, he would have been, you know, God, God gosh knows God knows how many movies he would have made. You know, mm. so it was, it, was, it was such a waste of a talent. You know. Yeah, and and but still, you know, still a legend now for what he did do, you know. Uh, And I guess that's that's interesting um, because I guess that really would have set up your dad's career, right? If he's and to have someone that powerful to come in and say, "This guy's making my next movie, and he's going to tell you what it is," is sort of giving him such kind of freedom as well. So in in Hollywood, which I guess would have probably started or really kickstarted his career, which you know. Well, that led on for my father to to then he then went on and then did um, he then went on and did uh, you know Deliverance and 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 
and all this kind of stuff. And 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 then he had John Boyd, who John Boyd at the time he was the big guy, mm-hmm. but Reynolds was was a stuntman who 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 kind of fitted the part. And 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 by the time the movie came out, you know, Brett Reynolds just stole the movie, you know, mm. and and and, um, and then Brett Reynolds became this this sort of icon, you know, and 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 um, uh, but that was a that was a a great movie again for dad but that was interesting because you know it, it that had the first male rape scene in in a movie and the producers were all very worried about that and 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 they um they weren't sure if it was if it was you know if it, if it would fly with the with the with the audience and my father was saying look this it's it's the whole pivotal point of the whole movie is because of this horrible moment that everything else went crazy anyway so uh um uh, so they were coming and hiring about it, and Mary Tyler Moore at the time was 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 a big, big actress at the time, and and she was a real feminist and women's rights. She was a campaigner and something. She heard about it and she said she wanted to um to watch the movie, and so Dad set up a, a screening for her, and she she turned up with two hundred women, and they all sat down and watched the movie. And then when when that scene came on with Ned Beatty, you know they all stood up and applauded, and, and the two producers at the back thought, right, okay, we'll keep this. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so there's always there's lots of kind of moments where where somebody has believed in somebody or something has seen something and and that person has influenced somebody, you know, and and I suppose that's why friendship is is you know and, and looking after each other is so important, isn't it? You know, when you uh, make sure that people people that you love are, are with you, especially after what's happened recently. Yeah, absolutely. I think that in me and Nick do stand up and they kind of think of all the kind of relationships you make in that world and getting to do stuff like this with Nick now. And it's that kind of making friends and essentially working with your friends is sort of the best, the best kind of career you can have really. And collaborating with people is always like, I find it super satisfying of everything I do. I think my favorite stuff is always collaborating with friends. Yeah. 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 It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> He's going, yeah, this is fucking get rid of him. Yeah, no, I this myself. <laughs> this, is, this, has got us through, this has got us through this has got us through lockdown, hasn't yeah. it? No, it has. And and, and and lucky for you guys, you know, and and and, and this this whole this whole thing is about is 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 you know during lockdown to be able to to be able to work from home and the technology to be able to do it. You know, I mean it's such a shame that that none of us bought um shares in zoom you know before this started i mean it was you know, crazy and and, and 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 so but it's totally changed the whole thing and, and, and you realize that that you can do whatever you want wherever you want and mm-hmm. you know we i've got two friends who who were working from home anyway and um they at the beginning of lockdown they went over to um creation uh rented an airbnb in Havar and and spent the last year over there in a beautiful part of the of the world and because they can work remotely mm. so so it's perfect and speaking about working with friends, I guess it's a good good opportunity to talk about you and McGregor that you've sort of gone on all these huge kind of journeys. Which again, but it is that right? It is working with your mate essentially. Yeah. Is is uh, yeah for sure. Was well, that we, the initial we, attraction? We, yeah, well, we met on a film set together, and, and and I think my the first conversation I ever had with you and was um uh, was about motorbikes. So so we were in Ireland, in the West Coast, and 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 we met in some I think hotel bar or something where we were all staying. And I walked up to him, and, and I, I knew he owned a, um, uh, a motor goods in California. And uh, um, and I walked him up and said, "Hey, hi!" And, and we started talking about motorbikes. And and here we are, you know, almost thirty years later, to still talking about motorbikes. Which which, <laughs> which film did you meet on? 
I, I was, it was a, it was my comeback movie. My my film career had collapsed completely. Mine was heading south. His was heading rocketing up and all that kind of stuff. And um, and so so I, I got this movie. And it was it was Ewan McGregor, Pete Postlethwaite, Greta Scacchi, Richard E. Grant, and I'm thinking me, and I'm thinking this is fantastic. And we had a blast making it, and then it was just a pile of shit, really. And <laughs> and it, it, I think it even passed. It, I don't think it even made to a DVD. It just went straight to the bin. But but um, <laughs> but we had a but we we ended up just having a, a blast, and the two of us just ended up staying friends, and we. We kind of ran motorbike race teams together a little bit, and we did just all sorts of anything to do with motorbikes. We did, and and then we just started talking about doing a bit of a longer trip, and 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 then I don't know, just suddenly we were out in the middle of Mongolia, thinking, what what have we done? Why are we here? Whose fault is this? I don't <laughs> want to be here. At times, and then other times you're thinking, this is you know, and it just turned out to be one of the most amazing experiences. But to be able to do a trip like that with 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 your best friend is a, is a is a is a you know is is a it's such a um what's the word it's it's we're so lucky to be able to have done it you know to be able to pull it together and and actually do it and, and to spend that kind of time out in the middle of nowhere was was just fantastic it's every every kind of every person's dream really isn't it to go off an adventure well it's 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 great um would would that have been something that you'd have done uh without without cameras because i find Mm. i find that um uh, i did a food show where i got to travel around a bit um Mm. and then i also got my friend and david trent to come in and write it with me and we got to go to paris together and all this other stuff i always found that before i before i had a career i didn't have any money to travel and then when i had the career i was so busy trying to keep hold of the career (laughs) and trying to maintain the career that I couldn't go on holiday anyway. And so when work takes you abroad and takes you around all these places, there was this thing about Christopher Plummer. Christopher Plummer did this film called Star Crash and they filmed it in Rome and it's a terrible Star Wars ripoff. And they were like, why did you do Star Crash? And he said, because if you get a job in Rome, you do the job in Rome. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, that that was that was probably where my career kind of went downhill because I kept choosing movies for their location, and I'd be sitting on a plane, reading the script, thinking, "I think it's a great place to, fantastic place to go to," but the script is shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, you know, but it's a great place. But no, but I, I, I think you know. But that's always the that's always the um, no one intentionally goes out to make a bad movie, you know, mm. and and. And but it's just it's just there's not that many end up being good, but but um but no but but for sure I, th- I think you and I were going to go off and do this this kind of trip anyway. I mean I think a bit like you. Um, by the time you and I decided to do it, my acting career had gone very thin, and and I spent sort of ten years painting and decorating and doing people's houses up, and you know I just wasn't I wasn't where I was before, you know, and 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 we decided to do this trip and. And then I realized it was going to be sort of three months. And I was thinking, well, do you know what? I'm not sure if I can, if I'm going to be able to afford this. And, 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 um, and then someone mentioned about a book and they said, you know, this would make a great book, two friends going around the world, you know, perfect for a book, you know, and, um, and not knowing what's going to happen and stuff. So, so we kind of went that way and then we kind of got a book deal, but then both of us, <laughs> both of us, said, well, I'm really dyslexic and he's not much better than me. And we thought, well, who's going to, how, how the fuck are we going to write this thing? You know? And 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 um, and then we thought we'd do like video diaries, and then we'd get someone to help us 
construct it, you know, afterwards. And, and yeah. you know, and, and that seemed like a good idea. And then we thought, well, if we'll film that bit, then we should film a little bit of it. And then it kind of snowballed into, into that, really. So, you know, it was, uh, it, was, it was partly out of necessity, you know, to, in order to find the money to do it. And then, and, then, and then it became kind of obvious. But that's the best way around. You know, yeah. it was a yeah. legitimate. It was a legitimate thing that that turned into a creative endeavor. Whereas, yeah. you know, you go, how am I going to fill six hours of telly? Yeah. Oh, we'll go yeah. on a trip. Do you know what I mean? You did it well, the it right was, way it, around. It was, but but it was a hard sell for for TV because you know you go to to, to the TV stations and you sit down. They'd say we say we're going to go from London to New York doing this and, and we're going to, you know, lots is going to happen. And they go, well, what's going to happen? And we go, no idea what's going to happen. And they're going, well, that's not a great TV show, is it? <laughs> for a book, it's fantastic because that's the adventure of it, you know. But for a TV show, and you go to them and say, mm, well, they go, well, you know. So so that was actually quite a hard sell to, to, to get it. And Sky did it in the end. But um, anyway, but, you know, that, that, that it worked out. And, but I think it, 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 um, but I think we got lucky, you know, I, I think, you know, it, it, like all these things, it's timing, isn't it? Like my dad's movies and stuff, they come out and they just, it just hits the right time. And, and you know, I think people were, were looking for holidays, but they were, it was, we were right on the crest of a wave of, of adventure travel, you know, and adventures of people going somewhere and having an adventure rather than just sitting on a beach. And that was just starting to, to crest at the time. So, so when the TV show came out, it, it you know, people had an appetite for that. And it was a bit of a slow burner. It, it wasn't an instant success. A bit like Shawshank Redemption, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was a slow burner. No, but uh, so 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 yeah. So it 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 evolved in something. But for me, you know, and what Ewan, um, you know, said, look, come on, let's let's do this, Charlie. Let's get it done. So in a way, he he did for me what Lee did for Dad, you know. And I I got a from from doing Long Way. I ended up doing Race to Dakar. Uh, which was I, I did the Dakar Rally on a motorbike, and we filmed that, and then, and then we did Long Way Down together. Then I did a whole ton of other TV shows because of that, and and because of that idea, and because of you and saying, "Come on, let's do it." And 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 um, you know, he's such a generous guy and such a a thoughtful person. You know, it, it's a very nice person to have, you know, on uh, looking, you know, looking out for you when you're when you're out doing these adventures. He's a very nice chap. But yeah, that that did sort of start it all off. What was it like? Because you you had this career as an actor, and even though I guess if you're successful in acting, you kind of lose your anonymity that way. But almost mm. off the back of this series, you've gone from being an actor, but now you've got this almost you become well known for being essentially an adventurer. Was yeah. that interesting oh. at that point to lose <laughs> your to sort of actually that's the thing that's going to make my career. That's the thing I'll be known for now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, at the time I had ten years of doing fuck all, really. So, I, I, I wasn't really making a great deal of money. I was, you know, starting to do people's houses up. I was starting to think, you know, well, this is going to be my career. I was going to start to, to, really, focus on doing that, you know. And 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 then this came along, and and it changed everything. And 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 I think I had, in my acting career, I think I had a lot of opportunity, that that my youth or 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 I just didn't I didn't take hold of of the opportunity that that was presented at the time you know and I think lots of us 
do that. And 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 by the time Long Way came out, I was I was mature enough or ready to to be able to to take that on. And and I think partly I found a format that I that I really enjoyed. I really struggled as an actor learning lines because of dyslexia, and and I I, that, I used to find that horribly stressful. And and um, and then um, but but by doing these sort of documentaries, I I was unscripted and I could just talk rubbish the whole time, you know. And then hopefully that they wouldn't make me look too much of an idiot when it came sure. to the edit, you know. <laughs> I guess this is probably a good time to talk about your latest kind of challenge, which oh, is yeah. a 30 yeah. mile paddleboard for Movember. Uh, tell yeah. us about that. Well, it, it seemed like it seemed doing heavy lockdown, it seemed like a really good idea at the time. You know, let's do two days. We'll do 17 miles the first day, and, and, and then the second day we'll do 14 miles. And there were 28 locks that you have to pick the paddleboard up and go over. And yeah, it'd be great. And we'll do it in December, you know, and because it's one of the most depressing times. And, and do it for men's health for. The thing, love paddleboarding anyway, and 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 it's about doing this sport together that everybody can can do, you know. And it's one of those ones which is which is which is, which is a slower pace, so you can sit and chat and and stuff like that. And I think men in the in the past, you know, find it very difficult. You know, you'd ask your mate how are you, and the other one would say fine, you know, and then that would be that, you know. And nowadays, I think there's much more of an appetite, isn't there, to be able to um uh to sort of say, well, you know. You know, how are you? And the other one says, well, I'm okay. No, and you say, well, really, how are you? And then you kind of actually chat, a bit like you and I did on The Long Ways, you know. And so the idea was to get a bunch of people together. So we've got, you know, um, we've, got, we've got James Hick, J- Jamie Hick, Haskell, and we've got James Phillips, you know, one of the one of the um, Weasley twins, and Damon Hill, and Matthew Wright, and, and um, the Nick and Giles English, the, the guys from Bremont Watches, I don't know. We're doing that building watches now in 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 Henley, or rather than in Switzerland, and and then Ben Bowers, who who really put all this together, really, and he worked for Movember for a very long time, and he he and I met because because I I'd, I'd lost a testicle um, uh, through cancer, and and um, my 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 dog. The reason I found out I had testicular cancer was because my my dog, my other dog, um, Ziggy, um, our first one, he we went to the vet and. Um, the last thing he checked was his nuts, and one of them felt a bit odd. And he said that one of you, your dog's nuts feels odd. And my wife said, Christ, one of my husband's nuts feels a bit odd. <laughs> and he goes, you should definitely get that checked out. And so four days later, I was having my testicle taken out. And I remember lying there, Fucking having the no. operation, and the and the, um, and the anesthetist was looking down at me, and the surgeon were looking down at me going, don't worry, Charlie, it's just like shelling peas. <laughs> <laughs> and I went out, and all I had in my mind was my <laughs> testicle like this, oh and they just gone, as, the, as they popped the testicle. Out. <laughs> anyway, oh so I met Ben, and he lost his he lost both his testicles, and 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 um, and we were both telling our story, and um, I, I met him somehow I can't remember, and I introduced him to to November, and said, look, this guy's fantastic, and 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 stuff, and so we both would go cruise around with November guys. Uh, JC from November, and, and we would tell our stories, and we were always introduced as Womble, and, and uh, uh, so so that's kind of how we met. And then he has been doing that, and he and he's come come up with this with this challenge. And the idea is to get people together, to be able to chat, to be able to talk, you know, do something good for 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 mental health and and all that kind of stuff. So, 
So were you were you a massive paddleboarder before you started doing this? Uh, yeah, I kind of all last lockdown, you know, when we had that just that blissful summer. And my wife is a big paddleboarder, Olivia. And and then I started paddleboarding with with her. Um, and then we would just do sections of the Thames all through the summer. And and um, and I just really got into it. I, I, I just love it. It's it's and my dog gets on the paddleboard with me and he, he sits on the on the paddleboard and. You know, I'm so looking forward to all the pubs being open because the best thing that we used to do was you'd paddle up to a pub, have a few pints, and then and then you'd paddle down river because it was easier, and 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 have a swim, and and that was that, and a burger because you know you'd worked out, so that was okay. <laughs> and this is all taking place on the seventeenth, so is that yes, it's a, yeah, a week so or two away from now. Yeah, yep, yeah, it's a week or two away from now, and we're uh, uh, we're. Um, it's it's on the um Basingstoke Canal and and um and we've got two days and so the first day is seventeen miles, second day is fourteen miles with twenty-eight locks. We did a practice paddleboard and, and I smashed my legs up really badly um about four years ago and had to learn to walk again and all this kind of stuff. And so when I'm standing still for a long time, when I get to the to the to the side, we pr- had a practice taking the boards out on this uh, lock and going down and and, and it was so cold that all my legs had frozen up. So I was practically crawling with my paddleboard to the next bit to get into the water. So I don't know what it's going to be like with 28. And uh, maybe I'll play that, you know, I'm really injured card and, and I'll bring my, my little blue badge with me. And don't, you dare. don't you dare. Don't you dare. James, James, James Haskell, have you seen the size of him? I mean, he could carry me and the board and his board without even batting an eyelid. You know? Sure. See if you can get him to do that. Is this the first? So is this the furthest you'd have you'd have gone in one go? Yeah, I think I think in one go for sure. Yeah. I mean, well, normally, yeah, normally I can't go too far because my my uh, my ankle and stuff is all is all messed up. So I, it, it's quite painful to to stand for a long time. But you know, I've got all these people around me, and I've got Amy from from Virgin. She's she's going to be there as well. And um, and Damon's very funny. You know, Damon Hill. From, who was a Formula One champion? He he um he's really funny and just takes the piss out of everybody the whole time. So it'd be great fun. It's gonna be. Oh, you guys should come with us. Why don't you come with us? Ah, uh, that's. Oh. It's a long time. Well, you know, I have been actually putting this off, but like, so what is paddleboarding? Standing on a surfboard and paddle. That's about it, really. Yeah, it's that's really what I thought it was. Easy. That's what I thought yeah. it was. Do you know what? If it was on dry land, I, you know, you might get me. Maybe we could meet you at one of the pubs. Yeah, yeah. Come meet us at the end. That'd be great. And you could <laughs> yeah, get, yeah, you know, get the champagne out. You know? I could do that. <laughs> we can applaud and uh, we do that bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And how do people... So, exactly. so you're, you're raising money for Movember. How do people give money yeah. or how do they help out? Yeah, well, well, they, they, they can go and if, if they go to, to... If you go to uh, Movember.com and then, and then you... Um, and then you, for, you you can you can find the link there, um, and it's called the Big Stand Up, and um, and you can you can donate there, and and um, and all the money goes to goes to Great Helpers. I mean, just, um, November was originally about um, it started because of mates of theirs had testicular cancer, and and a bunch of them in Australia decided to grow a beard, uh, grow a moustache for mm. for the month of of November, and it kind of caught on, and they did it again the next year. But because of their money. Um, my testicular cancer 
they change the way they um, they treat it. And 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 so for me, when I had my testicle, testicle taken out and stuff, I, I, it was because of the Movember money and how they they did it that saved my life. So I'm, I'm always very grateful for that. I guess that's important yeah. to say as well because that's certainly my understanding of it as a charity. I always think of it as it's a one-time deal. People grow a moustache in November, and the rest of the year, I guess you don't really think about it. So I guess it's yeah, important yeah. for them to do stuff all year round. Yeah, like well, it's definitely important for them. And, and they 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 raise hundreds of millions of pounds. It's unbelievable the success of what they've done. And and they don't just do cancer now, but they do. It's all about men's health as well. And and because you know women are fantastic at at at, at you know with breast cancer and talking and 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 you know going to the doctors and making sure that that, that everything is okay. Mm-hmm. And and um, and men are just useless. I mean, I, I remember my doctor said you've got to get that testicle checked out, and I said, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. And to get a um, an ultrasound is uh, what's that woman in the belly when you look at um, ultrasound? That's called ultrasound. And he said you've got to have that done. You've got it as soon as possible. And I said, yeah, 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 fine, I'll do it. And then I just didn't bother. Yeah, anyway, the next morning at eight thirty in the morning, he rang me up, and and in twenty years of being in that practice, they've never rang me. And and he, the doctor, personally rang me and said, "Charlie, have you had that ultrasound yet?" And I'm no, but I'm going to do it now. He completely freaked me out. And and then my sister Talsha, um, uh, you know, uh, 25 years ago, she had ovarian cancer, and she lost her her life to ovarian cancer. And so I kind of knew, you know, that last year of my sister's life was was pretty pretty horrendous for her. So, so there was all, all that was sort of swimming around in my mind as well, and, and so. But luckily, the doctor said, "Look, Charlie, this is an inconvenience, not a not a life changer. So, um, get it done, you know." And I guess, like, so, and I had a false one put in. So he said, "Do you want a false one put in?" And I said, "What do you mean false one?" I said, "You can have false ones put in." He goes, "Yeah, you can. Just a little silicon thing goes in." And, and and I said, "Well, is it common? You know?" And I wasn't sure what to do. And he goes, "Well, it's about fifty fifty, so that wasn't any help for the decision." <laughs> And then I asked my wife, and she said, yeah, no, you definitely have one as long as it's bigger than the last. I think she was thinking about the wrong thing. But, but uh, um, uh, And the, I'd already asked the doctor about that, and he said you need something to graft onto if you want that done. But anyway, I didn't. So uh, uh, but so, anyway, so I, I had a testicle put in. And I, if you have testicle cancer and you lose a nut, don't have a false one put in because it just gets in the way because it's – it's it's sewed to your to your to your to your uh, ball bag, and and so if you do high activity, your your nuts will come up into your body yeah. and get out the way. Whereas this bloody um, silicon thing just stays down there. So when I'm doing motocross and stuff like that, I often sit on it because it gets in the way, and then it pulls, and then it's really painful, and then right. you know it's just a nightmare. So you know if you if you're going to lose a nut, just lose a nut and That's you know, fascinating. be proud of it. Do you know what? I've That's never heard great that. advice that I've never thought of. I've this never heard I've, me forever. I've never heard anyone say that. And that is <laughs> Touch wood, it never happens. But now I mean, it's a good, uh, a good but, bit of but, advice. But but as November would always say, and 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 I think I think you know, please do give generously to the to the um, to the big stand up, um, um, because you know all of that kind of money goes in men's health, and mental health. But but what you the most important thing to do is is you must make sure that you get to know your nuts, and and and. Um, you know, whenever you have a shower or whatever it is, or or, or stand in front of your your, your partner and 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 you you know get her get them to feel your nuts and you feel their bits and you get to know each other's bits and 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 it's it's great and you do it once a week and it's it's great. 
and and then and that way you catch it early and 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 that's that that's the you know that's the way to do it of course oh. yeah yeah and i guess that's interesting you're saying again about that the movember also support kind of men's mental health is what what we're touching on a minute ago we were just talking yeah, about yeah, for sure. men kind of talking to each other and asking if they're all right and trying to be kind of supportive and i guess that's another thing i mean the old joke about testicular cancer was like uh it's rare that men don't find themselves holding their balls when they're left alone anyway but i guess it's a good <laughs> thing to have a kind of to have a feel about especially if you're in the bath or whatever yeah no but but, but you'd be surprised at how many people you know you, you know, I, I spoke to going for that. No, I'll never, I'll never do that. And, and I'm thinking, but, um, but yeah, no, it is really important. So you know, I want you guys, you know, tonight, tomorrow morning when you have the shower, grab, grab a handful, get to this. know your nuts. Okay. Charlie, after the last year, I'm sick of the sight of mine. So, <laughs> 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 and going, going back to going back to influences a little bit, um, are you? Uh, are you aware that um, part of the the Batman mythos now is uh, is that Bruce Wayne's parents came out of the cinema while Excalibur was on? Oh, is that the, is that <laughs> that would be brilliant if it was? Because because I was in that movie, so 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 it would. Be I was watching it last night. I was if, watching it last if, night. If, if, if that was the case, the psychologically, then you know, I technically was in Gotham. Well, yeah. that's the thing so, because I mean that's a stretch. But I think it's I think Excalibur is Zack Snyder's favorite film. Oh uh, yes, yeah, no, I had that. Yeah. He puts it in the cinema. I'm not sure if they're watching it or if they're still watching Zorro, but it's on at the cinema because it gives you a time, a, a place in time. Yeah. And they put, so they put it in the cinema in Batman versus Superman, and then when they did Joker, which has nothing really to do with Batman versus Superman, Excalibur is on at the cinema in Joker as well. Oh, wow, that's so cool! This. How nice is that? I, I I I've forgotten. I seem to sort of remember, but that is kind of cool, isn't it? That um, but you know that was a funny story about that. Um, so I was in the movie, and um, uh, I was I don't know twelve or thirteen years old. I can't remember, and I had a full set of gold armor. I was young Mordred, the evil son of King Arthur, and um, uh, anyway, so I did the movie, and then and then. We go to Cannes, and there's a big success in Cannes Film Festival. And we go to the theatre, and there's crowds of people, and everyone's shouting your name, and it's like, wow, this is amazing. And um, and I sat to watch the movie, and then I, when I came on, um, it wasn't my voice. It was my sister's voice, Talcha. And I'm going, and I look at my father, and I go, I go, why is my sister's voice instead of mine? And he went, Shut, I'll tell you later, I'll tell you later. <laughs> I'm absolutely gutted here. I've got my sister's voice. Anyway, it turns out that I, I tried um, I tried to do the uh, um, the voiceover, but um, um, but but Panna wasn't very good at it. And 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 so I um, uh, so she uh, instead. <laughs> and so and so at the time I was absolutely gutted by that, but because you know, years later, um, when uh, when when my sister died, you know, twenty five years ago, you know, I would sometimes I sometimes watch that movie and 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 I come on, but but it's her voice, and mm. and it's it's actually quite it's actually quite lovely now. But at the yeah, time, yeah. I was absolutely gutted, but now I, I I love it. It's funny, you know, if you if you lose someone to cancer or whatever, you know, or, or you lose your sister, or your siblings, or your parents you know it's funny you 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 never quite ever kind of 
get over it. And and you know, you, you like talking today. You know, just just her name always comes up. You know, at least you know, at least two or three times a week. You know, I think about her and stuff. So mm-hmm. so you, you know, I think that's why I'm so I'm so you know passionate about what we're doing in a few weeks' time. You know, with this big stand up to mm. to get people talking and get people to go to hospital. You know, I mean, if I'd been lazy and and ignoring it all you know i would have been in a lot more trouble with my cancer so it's a really lovely idea I think that's also, amazing when and when someone dies you often think about you you might have photographs and things but it's yeah. so rare you would have a recording of a voice know, which is something again which is such a sort of emotive and powerful thing that that often when people die it just goes and you don't yeah. have you don't have tapes and things you might have Maybe you'd have a bit of video somewhere, but yeah, it's such maybe. A, yeah. a thing you kind I mean, of lose, isn't it? And it's funny. I still have her. I still have a telephone number on my phone. I still can't. Um, I still can't um, uh, delete it. I just yeah. somehow can't do it. So it's still there, and I, I don't really see it that often. Sometimes you flick through, and mm. then you sort of see it, and you know. Anyway, but there you go. That's that's amazing. Thank. Um, we've come to the end. Um, thank you so much for. Uh, uh, talking to us um we do have time to play our internationally famous game better or worse okay. um so i'm gonna hand you over to nathaniel to take over for this bit uh nathaniel take it away okay charlie this game is better or worse and you just have to say whether the next person is better or worse than the person before based on my own opinion to score points does okay. that make sense Beginning with Norman Wisdom. Norman, Norman Wisdom. Wisdom. Yeah. Is better. Well, oh, go wait. on. Is Eric Clapton better or worse than oh, Norman Wisdom? According to me. Well, I don't know. Because Norman Wisdom did the did the TT movie, you know, and he crashed through that pub. No, worse, I would say. Yeah, for sure. I'd say he's better. I'd say uh, Norman what? Wisdom's better. Better than okay. Eric Clapton. Eric yeah. Clapton. Okay. See, this is from Nat's oh, point yeah. of view. It's my it's point of view, you yeah. see. Okay. Nick Cave, right. Nick Cave, better or oh, worse yeah. oh. than Eric Clapton? Better. Ooh, better. Better. Yeah, better. Bono, better or worse than Nick Cave? Worse. 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 Oh, please tell us after. Smokey Robinson, better or worse than Bono? Better. Oh, better, yeah. Better. Tina Turner, better or worse than Smokey Robinson? Better. Better. I'd no, say worse, but it's... Come on, you're Nathaniel. You're yeah. can't, can't you do, like, that Zoom thing and just cut him off at this point? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Brittany Spears, better or worse than Tina Turner? Worse. Worse. Uh, Celine Dion, better or worse than Britney Spears? Worse. 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 Lulu, better or worse than Celine Dion? I've got a thing for Lulu. Definitely better. Yeah. Better. Otis Redding, better or worse than Lulu? Better. Oh, better. Better. Adele, better or worse than Otis Redding? Oh, high cards. High cards. Uh, <laughs> Those are aces and kings right there. You know, I'd say worse. choose better. I'd say worse. Worse. Oh, oh. It's a good guys. score, though, I think. What have we got? You're at seven. seven. Okay, you're at seven. You're just <laughs> below bang average. <laughs> right. Okay, so so Bono, um, he every year he uh, um, every year he, he he does or every time he does a world tour, he goes back and he does the last concert in Dublin, right? Right. 
And anyway, so he comes on stage, and this particular year, he's doing a lot of work with UNICEF, and, and he comes on and he's clicking his fingers, and he says, every time I click my fingers, a baby dies in the world, right? And, and it's all very somber. And then in the audience, the audience, some guy shouts out, goes, he goes, well, stop clicking your fucking fingers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and put him in a bad mood for the rest of the concert. So, <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, Perfect. There you go. Um, well, um, right. that's, on that that's, note, <laughs> that, on that note, that's all we've got time for. I normally do like a rundown, um, but like we've got, uh, we've got about 50, 50 people. I think we're going to start a new set of better or worse next week. Um, so you, you've done, you've done fine. You're in good company. You're in there with uh, uh, Richard Herring, James King, Ludie Lynn, Henry Normal, Janet Varney, and Johnny Vegas with seven. So it's not a terrible. Not bad. Not terrible. It's not great, but not terrible. You know. Good people. Good people. I mean, good people. Yeah. Good people. Yeah. You've done fine. Um, so, <laughs> thank you very much, Charlie, for coming okay. on. Thank and you. Talking to us. Um, thank and you. And give some money to um, the paddle boat challenge, which is on. You can the find big details stand up. on the, the big, big stand up, which you can find big out on November. A... <laughs> That's about, yeah. The big stand up from, from from November. Yeah, please do. It 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 um, saved my life. It's called, it's, the on... big, it's called the big stand-up. The big stand-up, because you're standing up on a paddleboard. Yeah, but there's no, <laughs> there's, no, there's no element of stand-up comedy to it. Well, the, the, well, uh, well it, just the fact that you can stand up. I, actually, in fact, when, when we were doing a practice the other day, I, um, I, I, was, I was the one who was supposed to be the, the, the guy who could do it really well. And, um, and we went all the way down on the time we came back up again, and about, about 20 feet from the end, I just went, just hit the water so hard absolutely um belly flopped onto into the water <laughs> 20 feet from the end and the, I, all the guys with us were just roaring with laughter and <laughs> going oh you're the, supposed to be the professional and it was just so embarrassing so yeah so you don't right you well why don't you your come own and, and why don't you come and, cr- and do the stand-up for us because it's hours eight hours at a time and you know we'd, we'd appreciate that I was thinking the last thing that you really... I was thinking, wouldn't it be a good idea? So at the end of all of that, you have a treat at the end of the day where there's a, there's a stand-up gig for you to get to. And then I thought, actually, that's probably the last thing that you want. You want, <laughs> you want to just talk amongst yourselves and have a drink. You don't want a comedian to try and, I don't know, top, top the day that you've had by... Uh, you know, so it's fine. It's fine. Anyway, um, thank you. <laughs> thank you again for coming all right. Um, okay, no thank problem. you, Take everyone, care. for listening. Uh, thank you, uh, everybody. Look after yourselves. Uh, we're nearly there. We're not there yet. Stay, keep being safe. And uh, we'll, uh, can you write some actual fan mail for us? It sounds awful begging for it, <laughs> but just write some actual decent fan mail for us, and we'll talk about it next week. <laughs> right, thanks very much, everyone. Goodbye. All right, goodbye.